This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. We're finally here. Yes. Welcome in, friends. What has this this lazy Sunday been like for you guys? I mean, I just betrayed my Sunday. It was lazy. Uh, well, here well, in Seattle, it's been pretty overcast. I worked today, but mm, it's been a pretty normal day, honestly. After preaching, I have been binge-watching CSI. Mm, what city? Las Vegas, of course. Oh, well, that's not enough course to me. Where it all began. I just know they do multiple cities. The classic CSI. Is it? I always hear yes. Miami is the classic. But no, 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 I said something bad. Emily's mad at me. Oh, now. I love CSI Miami. Don't get me wrong, mm. but Emily, I'm so curious what ordinary time has been like on the church calendar lately. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, seeing as how I believe Epiphany is over now, my brain sure is. is just fried. It is, yeah. yes. Um, it honestly is weird because there's just been so much happening even outside of each season. So mm-hmm. now that we have not really much going on and we're just kind of following lectionary or doing series sermons or whatever, mm. you just have to fill your time. And so I've been doing more devotionals than I normally do, and I've been spending more time at the office than I normally do um, just to prepare and to get things ready to go because the next season's going to be upon us before we know it. So. Easter creeps up pretty fast, doesn't it? Lent sure does. It absolutely does. Oh, gosh. See, my brain is still programmed to think Easter before I think Lent. Okay, <laughs> we will get there. I you will. We will get you will, there. young grasshopper. So what has your choice been on the pulpit? Are you just taking lectionary cues or are you choosing... Uh, to craft a series of some sort? I am very in tune with the lectionary. I think I'm going to hold off on doing a series for a little bit. Uh, right now, what the lectionary is giving us is you can't like not preach it. Like You read it, and then you hear about what's going on in the world, and you just find so many connections that you can't not preach on. So, mm, mm, nice. I Yeah, that's what I've been doing. What a gift. All right. Let's talk drink, shall we? Today. Drink. Oh, today, before we talk drinks. Oh. Uh, I think we should say that the drinks this week are actually sponsored by our new patrons who ding, 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 came ding, on this ding. week. How could I forget? Yes. I know. Yeah. We already forgot. Thank um, you, Josh. So shout out to Jeff Hall, Courtney Clark, and Christopher Ekstrom for supporting us on Patreon. You guys are awesome. Thank you for sponsoring our drinks this week. Oh, uh, this week, actually, in honor of Jeff... I am drinking a Guinness Stout that I found on Nitro. Oh, beautiful! What a beautiful that's tribute! So nice. Absolutely, it is. Oh, I'm drinking another K cup coffee today. This evening just needs a little extra juice. What about you, Emily? I'm literally drinking juice. That's funny that you said that. I can't consume as much caffeine as y'all can. Yeah, under that's... these times. So please enjoy that K cup for me. Um, oh, I, oh, I will. I am enjoying 
a tall glass of apple juice and a giant hydro flask of water and a tiny cup of applesauce because why not? Absolutely, why not? <laughs> so good. Okay, friends. I okay, we should say for posterity's sake, we are recording January 17th, 2021. Mm, and yes. uh we had some pretty big events happen on the the national stage back on good old January 6th. And well, and arguably for the last 4 years. Well, very well. true. Thank you. Yes. Very true. But the flashpoint in my own heart happened in January 6th. But to lead us up to January 6th, I first wanted to ask you how each of you were raised to think about your relationship between your Christian faith and your American citizenship? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I feel like I've always heard the idea that like our faith should inform our politics. I don't feel like I was specifically raised to believe that our Christian faith leads us to like specific political institutions, even though I think that I was raised in more Republican-like settings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I think I'm pretty much in the same boat as you, Josh, especially with my mom growing up in the Catholic Church and then mm. becoming a Methodist, and with my dad um, sort of re-exploring his faith and always kind of having an outside perspective of church. He always had an outside perspective of politics as well. And mm. so mm. he he really wanted my sister and I to be well informed before making any sort of stance on any issue or or situation, which is ironic because I I think I'm definitely more liberal than the rest of my family, but they don't use that against me in any way. We're we're able to have wholesome conversation in that way because they gave me the freedom to reflect and to see the world for myself rather than just spoon feed me mm. things to believe in mm. what about you steven i i think i was probably closer to you josh though i do specifically remember moments growing up in awana where we would have like an opening prayer for the night and as part of that ritual we would say the pledge of allegiance to the flag that was in the corner of the room really yeah yeah, and this this was at a Baptist church here in Laurel, Montana. The church I attended, though, never never took it that far and put a a, a flag up in the corner. However, this is something I've oh, seen. Oh, every church I've ever been to, growing up, had a flag in the sanctuary. Really, sure. mm-hmm. but where in the sanctuary? Uh, in like towards the front, like to the side okay. somewhere. Okay. Yeah, usually I see it up in the front if I visit a church that has a flag posted mm-hmm. anywhere, right? Um, what do you think that teaches a young Christian to put a flag in the sanctuary like that? Ooh. I think it's complicated. It, it absolutely is. Uh, I At one point, I grew really frustrated with this, um, especially because I think I fall more in the middle that like, I think Jesus should inform our politics and our, our views on things, but I don't think that that means that Jesus is aligned with any particular political party even outside of america and so i i don't know but i also i get the value in like recognizing our religious freedom because like i can recognize that in america we have a very unique type of religious freedom that is not necessarily held in every part of the world mm, yeah absolutely and so i feel like a lot of people like uh, like to acknowledge that uh without um 
like pushing an agenda necessarily. So I can recognize that there's a little bit of a difference and that just because you have an American flag in your sanctuary is not indicative of you pushing some agenda. But how many non-Christian or I guess non-Protestant denominations or faiths have flags in their sanctuaries or in their main center of worship? Because I feel like it's a very... uh, it's a very WASP situation. <laughs> if someone doesn't know that acronym, that stands for White Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Um, so I feel are like- you saying you think it's more of like a like a lower church thing? Like older denominations tend to not have flags in their churches. I would. I yeah. I just wonder. I don't. I just don't know of many like Catholic churches that have flags in their sanctuaries. Or, yeah, like I wonder if it depends on like geography, if you're more likely to have a flag in your sanctuary, depending on where you're at. It's just one of those things that and and Josh, I, I have to commend you because although I, f- I feel like I want to agree with you and, and you're right in the sense that other countries don't have the same religious freedom that we do. But I also feel like that that's not entirely true, especially with how we treat people of differing religions mm. than Christianity. And so I think that's another reason why I was questioning, you know, how many mosques or Uh, synagogues do we see that have American flags in their uh, center of worship? That's a great question. So so what you're getting at, Emily, is the relationship of like man to man treatment of the religion. Now, because when we talk about freedom of religion in our country, we're talking about specifically the government's relationship to religious institutions sure right right it's it's specifically talking like the first amendment defends the citizenry and other forms of expression and worship from state action it doesn't necessarily say like you must be absolutely tolerant because as we see people of of different faiths can become rather intolerant of others mm-hmm. that's a good point so this this word tolerance actually brings us back to the fourth century anyone want to take a guess at what i'm talking about no fourth century um all right wait are you talking about constantinople i'm talking about constantine oh constantine that's what i I was wondering okay so in the year 313 a.d constantine released the edict of milan which officially declared to rome like christians will not be persecuted anymore again by the state Mm. Ten years later, Christianity became the official religion of Rome. And I guess just to start there, uh, what do you think the effects on our world has been ever since Christianity became tied up with something like Rome? That's, that's a huge such a question. Hard question. Yeah, that's huge. Um, I feel like there's been a lot of effects, probably direct and indirect. But I don't know. Is it harder to make an argument about like its direct impact? on us today because like the marriage of Rome to the church was specifically Catholicism and that like groups have splintered off from Catholicism. So, I mean, I feel like there might be some latent effects, but that's true. Are you thinking of like anything specifically? Well, but in the fourth century, the great schism had not happened yet. So we didn't actually have the split of the Eastern Orthodox from the Western Roman Catholics. Oh, oh, that's a good point. Right. So this is even pre great schism. This is like, there is one Christian church. I never realized that. Actually. And now, and now, in a way, Constantine just like tried to, uh, pardon the euphemism, but Constantine tried to climb in bed with Christ. Mm. And mm. I think the dangerous implication of empire tying itself to Christianity is that it fundamentally 
goes against what Christianity came for, what Jesus came to teach us and give us through the kingdom of God that he preached about. I can totally see that. Well, and just look at the effects of, and this is much later, but hello, the Crusades, Mm. Mm -hmm. conquering in the name of Christ or in the name of God. Right. This, this, you know, conquering this empireism happening in religious places and religious institutions. Yeah. Oh, man, Stephen, why is it when we have your topics, Josh and I are just blown away. We don't know where to go with these. Oh, Because they're hard. I almost wonder if there was a specific, I'm not super well read on this, so I'm wondering in my head if there's been any uh, specific correlation between uh, like the spread of the Roman Empire with uh, any of the Great Commission language, like going to the ends of the earth. Like Rome was very empiric, uh, mm-hmm. and I almost wonder if part of the reason why they wanted to adopt Christianity was because of the Great Commission language. Like in my mind, that's like the closest thing oh, that dude. they would have co-opted. Totally. totally. It would be so I easy totally to co-opt that. that because uh, much in the same way, I had a gripe a while ago about how the like Druidic traditions of the Celts were, were kind of like co-opted and rewritten once mm-hmm. Christian monks showed up in the mm. very much in the same way, ro- the Romans, I mean, like they had their own pantheon of gods. And as they went and conquered different peoples, instead of saying, oh, your gods are your like your gods, whatever they would say. Oh, if you think about it, though, Mars is just like your Greek god. So maybe they're the same god and we worship the same people anyway. So it was like a really mm. subtle way of showing people like hey we're we're actually praying to the same gods of war and the same gods of uh fertility and food and alcohol or whatever you know so it's like finding their gods among other pantheons and among other nations was a way it was it was almost like psychological maybe is the right word for it but it's like a way of subverting their religious language and doing some of that like psychological warfare on them to be like oh i guess we're not that much different than our conquerors you know even though they still end up with conquerors mm. would you guys permit me to read from my book that i showed you before we sure, started taking? yeah yeah so absolutely i i just finished the social contract by jean-jacques rousseau this was a like a enlightenment era philosophical thinker from france Will you please read it in a French accent? I will absolutely not. That would be embarrassing for all of us and probably (laughs) offensive, if I'm being honest. So in the end, here's the quote. In the end, when the Romans had spread their faith and their gods with their empire and often themselves adopted those of the vanquished in giving one or the other the rights of citizenship, the peoples of this vast empire gradually found themselves with a multitude of gods and faiths, which were everywhere almost the same, and this is how paganism became one and the same religion throughout the known world. It was in these very circumstances that Jesus came to establish a spiritual kingdom on earth. This kingdom, by separating the theological system from the political, meant that the state ceased to be a unity, and it caused these intestine divisions which have never ceased to disturb Christian peoples. So essentially, his, hmm. his argument is that government and the relationship between civic religion and theological or spiritual religion were married until Jesus came preaching a new kingdom because I mean, like even look at ancient Israel, right? The people in the era of the judges 
were effectively like they were claiming that they were ruled by Yahweh directly and the judges mm-hmm. were simply a vessel or a conduit of God's judgments, God's uh, laws. And then Israel goes and gets a king. But even then, it's more of like a, a religious oligarchy or religious monarchy where the king is directly anointed and established by the priests who set them up. But Jesus comes and now he's saying, actually, like the entire kingdom that God is interested in has nothing to do with your earthly politics. Mm-hmm. Right. So what do you think? I'm curious to take us here. Um, what do you think is the most political verse in the Bible in the New Testament specifically? Oh, oh, in the New Testament specifically. Yeah. Oh, my. OK. In terms of like power struggle, power struggle or Jesus and his followers sending a message to the empire of their day. Honestly, probably calling Jesus the son of God or like some of the other language that was co-opting language that would have been attributed to Caesar or maybe some of the language in Revelation. I feel like a lot of that is super Mm, political mm -hmm. about Rome. Mm -hmm. But in terms of like specific politics, I feel like, mm, I don't know, I guess I've never heard like a, a verse specifically used to tie to a specific political ideology. I think you're like on the right support. track. Now, what I want to say is the political ideology that the verse I have in mind is actually speaking to is actually this, what Rousseau was saying is like true Christianity that's actually divorced from civic religion altogether. And that. So what, what passage is it? I would say it's Mark 1, 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because it mentions son of God. Because it mentions Son of God, and it's the first time Christian thinkers, Christian writers, are using the word gospel, which was a word oh. that specifically the mouthpieces of Caesar would use. Mm-hmm. They would they would stand up in the in the public square in a town or a city they had just conquered, and then the mouthpiece of Caesar would say, "Here is the gospel of Caesar. You get to be a citizen of Rome. You get to be this as long as you adopt this, this, and this. You worship our gods, but you can still have your gods." but you still ultimately bow to Caesar, right? So like the word gospel was very calculated in my mind here in the gospel of Mark and saying son of God, because specifically that was something used to describe emperor Caesar at that point saying he was the son of God. Like you, yes, of course you would want to tie the person in charge to God himself somehow. Right. Right. So man, there's a lot here. There's a lot here. There's a lot of places we could go. I'm curious to hear from you. Like, what what is spinning in your head right now? Well, it's funny you should mention that. Just last night, I started watching a new documentary series. It's on Netflix. It's called The Family. Have you have you guys heard of this? Mm-hmm. Have you watched it? I have not yet. Okay, so I'm only one episode in. So uh, I cannot vouch for the whole show, but it's really interesting so far. Um, it is about a loosely held together organization in DC that refer to themselves as the family sort of. And they use this ideology that like Jesus is transcendent of politics. Like the gospel is what unifies us. Jesus is what unifies us. But then they use that to be like these invisible influencers on not just American, but global politics. Um, I am, I'm really excited to continue watching the rest of the series. Cause I think that it's going to be really enlightening. And like, it's kind of funny that I just started watching it after uh, we recorded our episode on cults. 
so I'm, I'm really excited to dig into it. But Stephen, that's what you made me think about because like, I feel like what we're getting at is the idea that Jesus slash the gospel slash Christianity is somehow meant to be transcendent of earthly politics. But like, that's exactly what this group uses as their main focal point is like, Jesus is transcendent of the left and the right. Therefore, we're going to influence all of it and like mm. use that to power grab. And so I feel like, I feel like, n- like no idea of Christianity's relationship to politics is inherently without problem. Mm. What does that mean for your day to day life or your personal life then? Like the idea that Jesus is somehow transcendent of politics or seeing that idea also problematized. Hmm. Because to be honest, I think I really like the idea of Jesus being transcendent of politics. Like I get why that's so powerful because like whether you are the church of Rome or you are a Christian in 21st century America in 2021, I think it's really attractive to think of our true identity as like transcendent of the current time and place. Mm, Like I I really get that. And to be honest, that's really attractive to me. But it's troubling to see that that, even though that's really attractive and seems really neutral, that that ideology can still be like mishandled. And it could even be seen as not even neutral to some people. Oh, totally. Yeah. Because like Jesus also says, like, if you're not for me, you're against me. Like if you're... Mm if you're like not picking sides in some way, like if you're being like, we kind of talked this about on our episode about being too agreeable. Like sometimes you can like come off as like being too agreeable. And then it sounds like you're agreeing with everybody and you're not like not picking what is right over what is wrong and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, I think you're right. It it's a, it's kind of a complicated one for me because like I feel very disconnected and very discontent with American politics. Mm, And, mm -hmm. But I can also recognize that it's impactful and it's important. And so I also kind of feel inclined to think that my faith should inform my politics. But to be honest, I don't really think there's a clear answer. Like, mm-hmm. it's a hard one for me. It gets sticky. It gets sticky for sure. So the reason I wanted to start with Rome is because I wanted to talk about this, this move that I don't think I was ever explicitly taught, but it comes out in language like, I mean, even if you guys listen to my latest episode of No Normal People, I had Awana leaders telling me as like an 11 year old that it is so vital and important that I'm memorizing so much scripture in Awana because when Christians become persecuted in our country, then I get to be the walking Bible for my family. Ugh. And Sorry. yeah, like Book of Eli style. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Book of Eli style. So, first of all, did did either of you ha- growing up have a fascination with persecution or martyrdom? Uh, a little bit, but I feel like it was more. Like, did you ever read the like the DC Talk martyr book or whatever? Uh, no, yeah, that Jesus Freak book. I never read that, but yeah. I did read the Left Behind series, so I was definitely mm-hmm. super into that for a while. Sure. Um, but I, I still feel like even amongst all of whatever end times kind of doomsday stuff was sort of present, I feel like it was still more emphasized that like we are lucky in America to have religious freedom. Like that, there was more emphasis on that for me growing up. Mm, yeah, totally. What about you, Emily? Did you, did you get any of that kind of? No. And I'm, I'm 
kind of grateful for it, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, because uh, for me, there was there was literally it was the the DC Talk Jesus Freak book, and it was almost like a fantasy kind of like. I don't know, like martyrdom porn or something. That's a really weird term for it. But it was like you're reading these stories of these heroic Christians under the boot of their government who's trying to like persecute and squash out Christian language in Asia and in Africa and all these. There's a sense of a good God. I'm so lucky that I don't have to suffer this. But at the same time, the way these stories and the way these books are presented, it's like unless you actually get to go through this at the hands of uh, people in power then are you really a christian like it it mm. really came down to a fantasy for me of like yeah what would i do if the police came rolling through laurel high school or something like that it's <laughs> like <laughs> I, okay I, I have a question though what would what's the difference though between reading a book like that and something like fox's book of martyrs or venerating the saints growing up like i feel like those mm. stories are like all really similar so is reading about people who have died for Christianity, which is true, is reading about that inherently tied to politics? Because it's not always the state. No, you're, you're right. Mm. It's not always the state, totally. But it, the way I was being taught that kind of stuff, it always was like, you know, as soon as our government takes a, a critical turn or whatever, you would, you would be subject to persecution. Mm. Uh, sure. Like, it, China was the famous example, which... Mm, probably mm-hmm. should be probably might deserve to be but it mm-hmm. was i mean look yeah look at what they're doing to the the Uyghurs right now i'm probably not pronouncing yeah. that correctly but like mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. that specific sect of muslims like that's happening right now right yeah, yeah absolutely. that's dangerous so but when but when we're given when we're handed fantasies of martyrdom and persecution i think the the subliminal message is that we start to get we how do i want to say this we get to begin reading ourselves into the biblical story as the underdog or as Israel, whereas it's, I think it's vitally important that we as Americans recognize that we can only read ourselves into the story as Rome or Babylon. Like, we, mm. we are citizens of the empire in this story. You mean, like, as Americans or uh, yes. as participants in post-Roman christianity as as america oh. well both i guess mm, okay yeah well bold statement okay <laughs> uh i'm not sure i agree with that actually <laughs> i see what you're saying about like being connected to empire and i do think you're right that the bible critiques empire but i i actually think it's okay to read yourself into different storylines of the bible depending on where you're at in your faith i guess but i guess i kind of see what you're saying in that like we can't always assume we're the underdog mm-hmm. in Israel, but like lots of people have read themselves into Israel's story, like the, like the African slaves that were in America, like they yeah. they totally related to the story of Exodus and the Israelites that I don't think a lot of people have, right? Like, sure, and they like really experienced that. They're allowed to do that though because they literally had the next generation of Rome enslaving them and shipping them across totally, the Atlantic, totally. right? But I also think that we're not necessarily uh, the same as, but like, because like people like you and me and Emily, we're not in positions of power. So we're not quite the same as the Babylonian kings and Caesar. True. But I do think you're right that like we can be complicit in a system. Yeah. Systemically, I would say we could. I think we could. Ooh. 
I, one of the first things that pop in my head is we can see ourselves as being the Israelites who, you know, turned away from God's love and, you know, chose to ignore the prophets and all that. But I, but I do see where you're coming from, Stephen. And I think that's where it's important to not have a focus so much on putting yourself into the story, but more about what can the story show you in this mm. context and in this time. Because as soon as you start to focus so much on who you are in this story and in, you know, how do you characterize yourself, you're kind of losing your reality because you're focusing so much on the story. Mm. Whereas the story is trying to show you for today, you know, here's what has happened. Here's what you can take for now as a modern reader rather than I want you to look as if you are this character because we can't fully do that. We can't fully understand the situations that the people of the Bible have gone through. Here's a question. Do you think Jesus is anti-state because the state was anti-Jesus? Do you think it's that clear cut? Ooh. I, I would, Because I've heard some people conclude that. I'm not sure that tracks all the way. I would say Jesus is trans-state in a way, like saying mm. you know, sure. the kingdom of heaven is above this, which... Totally, man, like listening to your description of this documentary series, The Family, it's like, yeah, I, I kind of agree that Jesus is and sh probably should be completely transcendent of it. I mean, that that's what the Rousseau quote was getting at, too, is like Jesus mm -hmm. came in sure. and injected like a whole new spiritual reality that is divorced from politics in a way. But yeah. so what does that mean, though? What does that mean, though, for us? Like, what is our role in 2021 as Christians who are American citizens? That's that's where it gets sticky, in my opinion. It depends on who you are as an American. Are you a white, cisgendered male American or are you a trans black woman American? Because America looks different for each of those people. Mm. <laughs> it is not a blatant statement for us to say what does that mean for us as americans no 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 because each american all right is dealing with so many different things actually this might be a good place to point out i think we've referenced it before but uh phil visher uh you might know him as bob the tomato mm. if you yes. watch veggie tales uh he came out with a video a couple months ago um that gave a really good summarization of the very well documented fact that conservative white Christians and conservative black Christians vote very differently in America, in America. Like the fact that they have the same uh, theological ideology, but they are voting very differently politically is super interesting. And I think that that's a really good fact to highlight your point, Emily. There it is. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let allow me to clarify then what does a white cisgendered man who's 26 and hosts a podcast, <laughs> what's my role in America if I'm going to try and take this Political, because I would say that Mark one one is a political call for Christians to recognize that uh, Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not, and to put it, pardon the pardon the retooling of the phrase, but Jesus is president and Biden is not, or <laughs> Trump is not. Like it, Ooh. it means <sighs> something very literal to us, I think. So what did you ever hear about this book called Jesus for President? No. No. Oh, really? Tell okay. me about it. Um, I was actually introduced to this at church camp, at my Baptist church camp, um, by my pastor at the camp. His name was Jason Bowker. Jason, if you're listening, shout out to you. I don't know if you're listening. Um, <laughs> but he went through this book uh, during a week at this church camp, 
It's by Shane Claiborne. Uh, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. Mm. I've read several Please books do. by Shane. To be honest, it's been a couple years since I read this book, but at the time I remember thinking, oh, this is going to be super cheesy. Like, this is just going to be about like, yeah, Jesus for president, man. Like, <laughs> Jesus <laughs> it needs to be in power. But right. if I remember correctly, it was just a really refreshing read uh, and a really refreshing take on the way Jesus should inform our politics and like what it means to be Jesus followers mm. as a part mm. of a political system that is obviously not perfect and not clear cut and different for a lot of people in their day-to-day lives. Um, sure. So if anyone like actually wants to read about this specific subject, I would really recommend that book. But for me specifically, honestly, I have really mixed feelings about the way Jesus informs my politics because like, like I can recognize the A, I have some hesitations about being involved in different ways. And B, I can also recognize that like my daily life is not as affected by what happens in, in the political sphere as it does for some other people. Like I know I have a lot of good things going for me. And like I know mm. that no matter who becomes president, I, I was hearing this a lot actually in the 2016 election that well, like no matter who becomes president, like our lives don't really change. And like I didn't, mm. it didn't really like occur to me until like this last year that like, oh, that's really only true for specific types of people. People like, like some people's me. lives are really affected. Uh, I follow DL Mayfield a lot. She's an author and a uh, podcaster down in Portland and she works directly with uh, some refugee and English teaching programs in Portland and like some people's lives that she's directly working with have just been mm-hmm. upended in the last year or so, mm. partly due mm. to the national administration and so like i think that's a really great example and like i can recognize that i don't personally have a lot of people in my direct one-to-one sphere of relationships that are directly affected by some really big political decisions but like i know that they're out there so sure it it's a hard one for me honestly because like i want to care about the people around me even if they're not people i know right like love your neighbors yourself but to be honest, sometimes it's really hard to be motivated <laughs> to be involved in a broken political system. And like sometimes it is hard to have hope about it for me. Mm. Mm. That's honest. Thank you. That, because that, that is exactly what I'm struggling with. Like, take me down the, the privilege checklist. I check every box, fam. <laughs> like literally everything in my life <laughs> is silver spoon, silver platter. And I'm waking up to this in the last few years because... Uh, to be perfectly honest, 2016, I, I was saying the exact same thing. Like, I mean, who, wh- whoever becomes president doesn't change much for me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think actually waking up to some of the those realities for me was a check of like, oh, wow. Like, like if I was going to identify with anyone in the Bible, I think Paul is actually pretty good for us, like us privileged white American citizens because... Mm. Because, like, I mean, he he has a passage in one of his letters. I forget which one, but he he goes down the 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 check mark list for himself as well. And like, it was a big deal that he got to drop. Essentially, like, he got to request audience with Caesar himself, utilizing his Roman citizenship. Hmm. So, like, he knows the kind of power that gave him, and ultimately, what he what he felt called to, and what he believed his citizenship gifted him was Mm. an audience with Caesar himself before he was executed. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I mean, man, it, it, it gets so sticky for me because 
reading my political life out of Mark 1 1 to say that Jesus is Lord and the president is not, or to say that uh, this is actually the good news that there's a spiritual reality, a spiritual kingdom that I must pledge my allegiance to. There are some very real implications. For instance, I think putting it in that language, do I pledge allegiance to the flag or do I pledge allegiance mm. to Jesus Christ? And are, mm. are those so mutually exclusive that I should not do one over another? If you like what you're hearing, the best way to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a five-star rating and a review, which helps others find the show. If you'd like to leave us a longer message, our email address is theravelpod at gmail.com. If you find this conversation valuable, please tell a friend about the show in person, with a text, or by sharing about the show on social media. You can join us on Instagram and Twitter at RavelPod. Thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color off his album, Here. Find his work on Spotify and Bandcamp. And remember to subscribe to Ravel so that you never miss a new episode. Thanks for listening. A couple years ago, Mm. I really felt, I felt like I just had a really bad taste in my mouth about the whole idea of patriotism. I was like, mm. I I just feel really turned off by this idea. I don't think I'm super into the whole American complex thing. Like, there's a lot that's bad that I can recognize, and I just don't know how to feel about this. And it's honestly been within the last year that I feel not just more comfortable using the word Christian, like that I'm Christian, and like that distinguishes me from a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. But I also feel a lot more comfortable saying, like, I'm American and I'm a part of this somehow, mm. and. Mm. Like I'm obviously an American citizen, but like I can I can talk about being an American without it being weird. And just because I'm an American in the same way that I'm a Christian, that doesn't necessarily mean I support different things. And I think it's okay to like talk about having clarifiers. And I also think it's okay to be honest that like being a Christian informs the way that I am an American. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's mm-hmm. totally honest. And then it becomes like a theological discussion of like, well, I the the Jesus that I see like leads me to want to support this policy. And like, I think that that's important to talk about to Christians and non-Christians. Yeah. But then that also gets us into uh, like Christians having different political ideologies. But I think that's also important. Like the way that my Christianity informs the way I'm an American happens differently than someone like Franklin Graham or Jerry Falwell. And I don't even think we have to like question their faith, but like, I think we can just recognize that it's, happening in different ways Mm. Mm -hmm. oh right oh man okay so here's another story time 2008 middle school youth group attender stephen henning is hearing all sorts of things about the 2008 election and uh being told that the republican candidate was essentially like the candidate for christians or the candidate for for god and I remember, I remember the day after election day, we all, we all collected ourselves. We were at church and I heard one of my youth leaders say that he voted for Barack Obama and literally, literally something deep inside me was like, 
wow, I guess he's not a Christian then. Wow. Mm. Mm. And so that's that's how tangled up this got for me at one point and why I'm so glad that God had the grace enough to start teaching me an alternative to that. Because looking back, it was like, whoa, like, I don't I don't know where I got that from. I don't know where that was instilled so deeply, but mm-hmm. it came from somewhere. It had to come from somewhere. And the fact that I was willing to, I mean, Emily, if I'm being honest, it probably was also a little bit linked to the fact that Barack Obama is a Methodist, correct? Uh, to, oh, I, hmm, let me, let me fact check. There that. might be a fact check there, but part of that was also like, I was being raised to think that Methodists weren't. <laughs> like Christ followers either. Um Oh, oh, I didn't even think about right? that. Right? So like mm. he's attended various Protestant churches, um one of them being a Methodist church and an Episcopalian church, which okay. they're very similar and so Sure. You also might be thinking of Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton is Methodist. There it is. Okay. She is definitely a diehard Methodist. So is Beyoncé. Mm-hmm. So there What? I didn't know Sorry. that. What? Yes. That's yes. super interesting. Okay, those are actually some really good examples because like up until now, I didn't know Beyonce was Methodist and Hillary Clinton is also very hush-hush in her political campaigning as her faith informs her politics, even though she says mm-hmm. privately in interviews that it it obviously does. It, it does, yeah, yeah. That it matters. Um, Stephen, I've been thinking about this since you mentioned that you think Jesus is like trans government or trans politics. Trans state, yeah. I think that it's super interesting that there is a growing number of theologically homeless people as in like mm. they identify as nuns on surveys. Like they, they don't affiliate the with nons. any denomination. The yeah. Nons. The nuns. Thank Not you. That's a much nuns. better way to say the it. Nons. <laughs> well, it is pronounced none, but no, I don't know. Yeah. You're non. right. Nons mm-hmm. sounds better. Um, so there's like an increasing number of theologically homeless people. And I think that this is very anecdotal even though I'm sure someone's studying this, I think there's an increasing number of politically homeless people. Like, I think there's a lot of people Mm. like me personally that feel like they don't want to be tied to either specific political party, Mm -hmm. even though they have specific feelings about politics. Sure. Mm -hmm. And I think that that intersection is super interesting. Like, that's why I think this conversation is so important because not only do I think that religious people and non-religious people need to learn how to talk about politics and how their politics are informed. But I also think Christians need to talk about with themselves about how their politics are informed, especially if they disagree. Like, Mm. I think that a lot of people avoid these conversations. And like, the fact is that there's a lot of disagreement and we just like need to figure out how to deal with it. I think also it brings up in regards to the political spectrum and the Christian spectrum There are Mm. some things that are clear cut and dry down to the bone and there are others that there might be some leniency. And so I just remember probably a couple weeks ago, someone was saying, oh, so you voted for Biden. And I was like, well, I mean, I just didn't vote for Trump. So like, oh, so you're anti-Trump. So you must be pro-Biden. And it's like, well, no, that's not how this necessarily works. And so I think Mm. your question, Stephen, about you know, was Jesus anti-state because, or Josh, I mean, because the state was anti-Jesus. I don't think that is, we don't really know that for certain. And I think those are one of those things where it's not so clear cut dry, because if there's anything in Christianity that is certain that a hundred percent 
is to love your neighbor. Like there is no arguing about that whatsoever. But then we start getting into the cherry picking of scripture and that will inform or enhance our political stance. And that's where the the waters tend to get really muddy. Um, and I think the same goes for our political stance. You know, I believe in common sense gun laws, but that doesn't mean I'm like a gung ho, like liberal either. Like <laughs> <laughs> there are just some things that are just not so easily distinguishable in that sense. And so that's where biblical interpretation and also political interpretation is vital. If we are to say we are American, to say, here's where my stance is on this issue and why, and to say that you're willing to hear the other side in order to grow. As Christians, we also need to do the same. I'm willing to hear your side of Christianity or your side of mm. Judaism or whatever, so that way I can further inform my own beliefs and my own understanding of my faith. Mm. Mm. Here's a question that just came to mind. What do you think of the whole, we're supposed to pray for the leaders thing? Because I heard that talked a lot about growing up. Like I pray for them. Regardless of political party, I definitely heard this from the pulpit. I don't think I ever heard from the pulpit like, we support this particular I, person no. or party, but I did hear a lot with like, we pray for our leaders no matter what. We pray, I mean, in our church, we pray for our local government leaders, our national, and we pray for international leaders as well. Mm. What do you think about that, Stephen? I, man, man, this is tough. So I know these are words of Paul, right? Pray for your, your leaders. Um, is it? I'm pretty sure it, it was. Is. Okay. Emily, fact check fact while, check. I, I'm while on I start here. This is really tough. This is because I, yeah. what politics today seem to want to do to us is dehumanize the other side. Mm -hmm. And I think that is specifically why the calling to pray for all our officials, our elected leaders, however that be. I think that is something that Christians are called to do actively to make sure our heart doesn't harden toward a place where dehumanization becomes easier. Mm. Um, and to be honest, what, what really taught me this was watching the events of January 6th, 2021 unfold and seeing what was happening at the national Capitol. Um, I mean, there, there are so many stories that are coming out of that event uh, an absolutely heartbreaking story from one of the officers who was kind of like drug, like dragged into the crowd. The story, uh, I just heard it on the latest radio lab. I forget what it was called, but essentially he, he was dragged into the crowd and he was hearing rioters yell, like take his gun, shoot him with his own gun. And, oh, wow. and all he could think to respond with, to humanize himself to his attackers was I have kids. God. Wow. And that like that's terrifying. And at the same time like I remember on January 6th watching those events happen and it was the first time where I felt like a a very real like holy spirit call to like pray for everyone involved. Mm -hmm. Attackers mm -hmm. and victims and mm -hmm. defenders because like something I really think that I've been learning um, that God has been teaching me 
especially to to break this dehumanization cycle because that's ultimately what I believe Jesus is calling us to do and this is how we lower the temperature in our country and like find unity again amongst us is realizing that like I heard I heard someone say quick tell me the best thing you can think of about Donald Trump and and the person shot back with he was a child once too Oh my God, <laughs> that's incredible! And and hearing people say things about Donald Trump, like at night he also dreams impossible dreams. Wow! Like these are the things that make us human, but yet when dehumanization mm. happens to such a degree that we start seeing "quote unquote" the other side as subhuman or non-human, then we get outright attacks and mm-hmm. and people dying at each other's hands because they don't agree with the way our political system is operating. Like that's so heartbreaking for me. So watching, watching those events, I was like, Mm. I actually like, there's something in me, call it the Holy spirit asking me to pray for the people who are perpetrating the violence right now, because we Mm. need to, in a way, like you watch them carry signs of the cross through and it's like, (sighs) Oh, don't even don't even, I had to preach on that. The following Sunday, our scripture for the lectionary was Jesus's baptism. And I just remember from that event, the entire rest of the week up until I had to preach, I was numb to the core because I had no idea how I was going to preach my sermon. And essentially, (sighs) symbolically, avoid being stoned by my congregation because what I was going to be preaching was making a political stance about who we are as Christians and what we see as right or wrong. Oh man, that was one of the hardest sermons I have ever had to preach. Hmm. And it was so difficult. Yeah. How do you balance that? How do you, for one, how, do you try to like not make a political stance or like, well, what I already do you, am like, what do you Christ- do? Christianity is a political stance and I've even said that from the pulpit like sure you know we you can't you can't not see politics intermeshed with who we are as Christians but my job is especially difficult especially mm. if I am a differing political stance to the rest of my congregation and so while I may be moved to want to push a political agenda saying, no, you need to believe in this and in this way, I think that doesn't get the message across. I think it actually does more mm. harm than good. And so what I try to do is I just try to lay out information and then allow the people to interpret it for themselves. And so what I mm. chose to focus on for that day was I chose to focus on our baptismal vows in the Methodist church. And I said, you know, you as Methodists, whether you were a baby and someone, you know, accepted them for you or you were an adult or a youth and you could accept them for yourself, you were asked, will you resist evil, injustice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? And you said you will. And so I was calling my church into questioning, what does evil look like? Can it maybe present itself in ways that we weren't expecting. Like, I don't know, Mm -hmm. faces like you and me, acts of oppression and injustice appearing to look like you and me and doing things that are unspeakable. Absolutely. And I think 
people were really caught off guard, but they were caught off guard in a good way because I had so many people emailing me like immediately after that sermon and they were like, this was so hard to hear, but we needed to hear it. And that that is what my job is, is to help people look and to look in the mirror and to see the world around them and how either their Christian identity or just however they see themselves is impacting the world around them and even more so maybe their lack of presentation or their lack of participation is doing harm than good. So like I talked about, you know, I have the privilege of being a white woman so I can be silent on topics and sometimes that does more harm than good. Like sometimes I need to speak up Mm. and sometimes I need to let others speak but not be silent to where I'm just letting it pass by. And so it is very difficult in this day and age to preach a sermon that is not political, but it is very easy to preach God's word. I think it's even it's uh, more easy uh. today to preach God's word than I think it ever was before because of the world that we're living in. As someone who is both politically homeless feeling and also has a lot of friends and people on both sides of the political spectrum, I really appreciate how humanizing and compassionate both of those answers were. So thank you. Thank you. you. Also, I have our fact checked. It's First Timothy two two, so it is Paul. Yeah, yeah. I just pulled it up. The so verses one and two there. Therefore, I exalt or exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Today, one of my coworkers asked me if I could have coffee with any figure in history would I have it with? And as a Sunday school kid, the first person who comes to mind is always Jesus. Like that is always the first, <laughs> uh, it's always there. And yes, I would. Sorry. Sorry, God. Um, but the next person that came to mind was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And oh. uh, it's kind of incredible how well this ties in because uh, the justification I gave for wanting to have coffee with him was because of how like widely used he is on the political spectrum to like justify very different things. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh. And also like he was part of the the planning to assassinate Hitler. Um it didn't exactly go to plan, but like I just I would I would love to like talk with someone personally about that. Like yes. was he praying for Hitler in the midst of that? I'm sure there's like people who were close to him who knew whether or not, but like like the idea of Jesus being trans politics on one hand sounds attractive and also the Jesus informs my politics sounds attractive. But then there's just like these figures like Bonhoeffer throughout history that were definitely Jesus followers. Like mm. we're definitely thinking critically about theology yeah. and then also did like dramatically political things. Mm. Mm-hmm. And what it, but also thought Jesus was above this world. And I'm just man. like, so profoundly. That's a good answer. And what a like, sticky place to be in at that. as a Christian, but because I think I think yeah. when you start pulling on this thread, this is where this is where this thread led me when I started raveling my Americanism tied with my Christianity mm-hmm. is uh, we're led into I mean quite literally, um, I don't say the Pledge of Allegiance anymore, mm-hmm. and and singing the Star Spangled Banner is essentially singing a war hymn, which I think Jesus leads us to anti-war nonviolence. So not singing the Star Spangled Banner is making a political statement about who and how political I think Jesus Christ ought to be in a Christian life. Mm. 
Sure. But I mean, especially getting into non-war, non-violence, it's like Bonhoeffer being in such a sticky place where he's he's seeing essentially this trolley problem of do I willingly yeah. participate mm-hmm. in the assassination of another human being who was once a child and who also dreams impossible dreams at night like I do? Or do I allow him to remain in power knowing what I know about what the German nation is perpetrating on the world? You know, like yeah. that is mm. that is hard stuff. You know, have we talked about our design for Ravel in this? I don't know if we actually have. <laughs> I don't think we have. <laughs> but that bring it up, Josh. Go right um, at it. If anyone's looked at our logo uh, for Ravel, you'll notice. Which I hope you have. <laughs> which and we, we've talked about how it's sort of been inspired by the uh, Wesleyan quadrilateral. So if you haven't listened to that episode, totally recommend. I learned a lot from Emily. Shout out to Emily. Uh, Shout out. But it's also based off of another grid-like thing called the political compass. Bum, bum, um, bum. And each of our uh, threads on our logo design represent each one of us and where each of us fall on the political spectrum at the time that we took the test. So if you would also like to take the test, uh, we'll put a link to that website in the show notes. and. Uh, you can uh, you can think about which one you think each of us is, because like we are obviously not the same politically. Did we ever talk about the meaning of the colors of our logo? Oh, I don't know if we did. Because I know why actually. I chose red, but I don't remember why you guys why chose- Why did you choose red? Red is the color that symbolizes women in theology. Oh, wow. what? Yeah. So like my alma mater, Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary- um, if I had a graduation, I would have participated in this ceremony, but uh, they have a tradition where the women will wear red shoes to honor um, Eliza Garrett and also to commemorate our role in theology. And men will be in support, but they will also either wear red shoes or they'll wear like red socks or red ties. Mm. Um, but it's a very, very meaningful color. So, yeah. And I think that in itself is like a making a political stance. Like, I am a woman in theology, oh, not in, you know, Christian yeah. education, not as a secretary, not as a Sunday school teacher or a choir director, but as a pastor. So there you go. And I'm sure there are some who, you know, they say, well, that in itself is just ludicrous. I mean, just go read Paul. And I would also say, <laughs> Okay, let's let's sit down and have coffee over this. Okay, that could be that should be a the, whole episode uh, coming up here. Josh, did you have any particular reason for blue, or was it just the one left? I didn't have a particular <laughs> reason for blue, but I feel like I mean it was so long ago now. But I feel like our discussion around choosing the primary colors on a gray backdrop yeah. had a multitude of reasoning for me. Um, one of them being that. I think it's good that we represent that there is a large Christian spectrum. Like there's a diversity of thought on the Christian spectrum. And I do think that we can apply that to this political conversation too. Even if like mm, we're talking mm-hmm. about just America or even if we're talking globally, like there is, there's a wide spectrum and we all fall on different points on it, even if we are in the same social mm, context mm. and we have to like look at the full color of absolutely everybody's totally. point of view. I know, I know there was some confluence of, there happen to be three primary colors that you can't get by combining others into them. And that felt really neat to nod at Trinity as well. 
having like mm-hmm. color represented in in three distinct things but then you can just refer to it as the color wheel or color or trinity is god uh let's see i chose yellow as the first integral stage of spiral dynamics oh i don't really know much about spiral dynamics looking at the way oh there's a great uh and very helpful episode by the liturgists called spiral dynamics also i actually listened to that episode and i like didn't retain anything okay (laughs) then then i would point you toward a four-part series on the robcast entitled i we and everybody where they dig Mm, into spiral dynamics and it's very less listen to the rob bell one first that series and then go to the liturgist and you'll understand more of the liturgists i promise Am I the only one who did not choose the color for a specific reason? Did I only get the blue color because you guys picked your own color? Um, yeah, because oh I, 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 I definitely remember possible. like yelling over the computer. I was like, I need to have red. And you were like, okay, <laughs> Emily cool. gets red. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> so I, there's, there's a lot that comes with being a political individual, yeah. a political citizen within Christianity. And whether whether that ends up being co-opted by certain political groups, as it was in my young mind, like, oh, he didn't vote Republican. He must not be a Christian either. Which I am a little bit ashamed of to even say out loud now, because, man, I'm so glad that I've grown beyond that. But so I actually think it's okay though, to label a certain view as non christian held like it's okay to say that something is not a christian view like theologically right like it's okay to like make distinctions religiously um i feel like where we get into a trap though is where like two people of two different political camps say that like their political view is the christian view and that like that means we should be having conversations i think like that's what i'm taking Mm. away from this conversation is that like if there's any disagreement among the Christians, like we absolutely need to talk about it. Like we can't push people to the wayside and just like label them not a Christian. Like if two camps on an issue say that like they think their faith is informing their view, then like we need to talk mm. about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, man, I hate how tangled up it gets. To bring us back to January 6th, I will confess that I had a moment because I like growing up in the school we did, especially Emily, you and I being an honor civics, like. We took Ugh, we yes. took government, we took the Constitution very seriously, right? But getting into, like, watching what was happening on January 6th, I was, there was an equal amount of, I guess I would say revulsion. Like, there was just something absolutely disgusting to me watching, like, I've been in those Senate chambers, right, in D.C., and mm-hmm. and seeing that, I hated the response that I felt in my gut, which was almost along the lines of, how dare you desecrate my temple this way? And I was like, whoa, where did that come from? Like, that is not my temple. That is not what I worship. But it revealed mm. it. Like, I, I really do think January 6th was pivotal for me in my life because it did some very necessary work to reveal a a level of very legitimate idolatry in my heart around the way our Mm. nation is constructed and the way our nation is run and all that. Like, because beyond that, I mean, another equally, uh, hard to stomach moment for me was, uh, seeing Trump stand in front of the church in DC with the Bible after like tear gassing protesters 
to clear. You mean the Bible that was upside down? Yeah. So like there was there were those two things like seeing feeling and seeing the idolatry in my heart rise, seeing people literally the words I felt were like, how dare you desecrate our temple this way? When looking at the Senate chambers, I was like, whoa, like that is not how I in my mind believe my relationship is to our nation as a Christian. Because again, I really do think that a lot of what Jesus has to say is political and that as a Jesus follower, like our, our political, the political implications are to not pledge allegiance. So like Hmm. seeing that and realizing like, Whoa, this feels like a temple to me. I have some work to do, but then also seeing Trump use the Bible in a photo op like that. I was like, Ooh, it's, it's, it's so, it's so twisted for me still. So like, I was nervous coming into this conversation just because like, I didn't really know where we were going to end up. I just wanted to talk about it because mm, sure. I don't know where I'm at mm. yet. Like I haven't landed. Yeah. Same. And it's uncomfortable fam. Yeah, it is. It is. The other thing you made me think of in that last example too, is that like, just because something feels sacrilegious does not necessarily mean that it's wrong. Like Jesus felt sacrilegious to the Pharisees and like he was being quote unquote sacrilegious to like challenge their notions and like, and I feel like examples like that go back to the whole sacred profane dichotomy and like stuff like that. I mean, clearing and, the temple, but flipping I agree, tables. It's, it's challenging. Like he did, he yeah. did something like that. And at the same time, like he's he's willing to stand before Pontius Pilate, and Pontius at, or Pilate asks, like, "Are you the King of the Jews?" And Jesus, it's almost like he just shrugged his shoulders and he's like, "I mean, you said it, I didn't." But at the same, like he's not he's not mm-hmm. denying it either, and that is a political statement, and that was the charge against him. That's why they put that on the sign above his head on the cross, was saying like, "This is what happens to political insurrectionists." When when sure. they come preaching against Rome, and at the same time, Jesus is loving centurions and healing their children from afar just by the faith of the centurion itself. So it's like, man, like Jesus loves the people, but when he when it comes to the politics, like this is what got him crucified because he was making claims against Caesar. Even even the uh, the Jews accusing him were saying, "Screw that! He's not our king. Caesar is our king. Crucify him!" Right? Hmm. Sorry, that was another rant. Again, I didn't really know where I was going. <laughs> I think that this whole episode might have that feeling, but No, I think it's important for us to look at that, especially because you're bringing back culturally uh just just a disclaimer, Jesus wasn't white. Um and I think that is important for us to acknowledge too to say, yes, I am a Christian, yes, I'm an American, and that means that I'm putting my faith in a man who lived, you know, first century, even earlier, who was a Palestinian Jew. What does that say as an American? That is a bold claim. That is a bold statement to say. And yet, I guarantee you, if you go into churches, you're going to see that beautiful portrait where he's, you know, light blonde hair, porcelain white skin, the light shining from his face. And we are twisting who Jesus is and what Jesus stands for. Like Jesus stands for the oppressed and for those who don't have a voice. And guess what? We as white people have a voice. And so what does that mean for us then as Christians who are American, 
who fit this picture of being white or cisgender or whatever the case may be. We have an obligation to stand for those who who will not have their voices heard or whose voices will not be heard. And Jesus was doing the same thing, whether it was in a different fashion or not. He was making very bold statements just by being present as the man that he was. Hmm. If anyone uh, really wants to listen to more podcasts, really digging into how American identity and Christian identity overlap, uh, there's a really good podcast by Dan Koch called uh, Depolarized, and he has three seasons of it, and I've listened to the entire thing, and it is... It's really, really good. He interviews a lot of people across the Christian and political spectrum, and it is, it is a really fascinating, enlightening listen. Totally recommend it. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Yes, please do. Wow. Feels like a weird place to end it, though, doesn't it? What a... I think that's okay. <laughs> we raveled, and we ended up with just almost a bigger mess. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, I think that's what's important is... The conversation has only begun, and there are just some things that will not be completely raveled, and to know that life still goes on. Like, these conversations will have been had. People after us will have these conversations or differing conversations, but that work still needs to continue. And so it's okay if we end where we do, because who's to say we won't carry it again? Mm. I also think it's good to acknowledge that like it's going to be an ever continuing conversation because politics is ever continuing. Like we're always going to have new presidents, mm. new dictators, mm. new senators, new issues. Like we're probably going to have some really crazy technological issues within our generation that we've literally never dealt with before. So like mm-hmm. I think it's good that we're not ending on a conclusive note because we're always going to have something new to talk about in this uh intersection of identity. So Maybe we should just end it there. Emily, do you have a word for us? As give we leave? To, I do, yeah. Uh, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. As we try to ravel our identities as Americans and as Christians, know that the work is messy and complicated, but there's still work that needs to be done. And these conversations are vital as we continue in this journey that we are embarking on together. 